Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. On this episode, Tom welcomes Brock Miller of Shred Northwest. Brock is going to talk about implementing a stop and know approach in his life and business. Intrigued by what that even means and how it may help you, settle in for some great insights on the show today. Brock Miller, welcome to the podcast. It's really good to have you here. Thank uh, you. Let's set let's set the context. Give me some big picture details about you and your shredding business. Shredding Northwest, right? That's the name of your company. Shred Northwest. Yep, absolutely. Okay. We are okay. out here in the beautiful Portland, Oregon area. So yeah. the Pacific Northwest. Oh. And uh yeah, it's gorgeous. Jealous. You have to love the liquid sunshine, but if you can do that, you can love it out here. Oh. And uh yeah. Love your city. Yeah, thank you. It's had a lot of negative attention in the press recently, but we love it and the people are great. And I think a lot of that was just hype, but it's been a great place to build a business. We've been at it for about 12 and a half years. And right now we have a a whole arsenal of, of shred trucks. Not every one of them goes out. We send out about six routes every day and, you know, 15 employees on the payroll. 15. Okay. And are you both truck and plant? Are you doing, do you have shredding equipment both on trucks and in a plant or are you purely mobile? You know, we have sort of a hybrid approach and I would say that we are predominantly mobile or transition. We used to have a shred plant and the plans are to re go back into plant-based shredding, but uh, we're mostly mobile. Okay. All right. And so you're in Portland, but what's your service area? It sounds like you've been at this for a while. So I'm guessing that you're bigger than Portland at this point. We are. Yeah. So we've made an acquisition in the Salem, Oregon area. So the main freeway system that runs from California all the way up to Seattle, we pretty much have a territory that's from the Salem area, South through Portland, North and into Southwest Washington. And okay. then all of the northern and central Oregon coasts, we do go into central Oregon as well. Uh, but the majority of the population centers are right here in the Portland metropolitan area. Got it. So mobile, but are you doing more than shredding paper? Are you doing hard drives? Are you doing other ancillary services? Tell me a little bit about the related services. Yeah, we're shredding predominantly paper and okay. uh, digital media. We can do product destruction. It doesn't happen as frequently for us as as others maybe, but we're mostly in that paper and hard drive space. Okay. And in sort of knowing a little bit about you, Shred Northwest is an evolved name from AccuNorth. It was AccuShred back in the day, wasn't it? So give me a little bit of the backstory on that. Sure. So my wife's family has owned a garbage and recycling solid waste company since 1948. And so when they decided to diversify, because the solid waste industry is very highly regulated in Oregon, much different than other states and locations. Interesting. And so shredding was a non-regulated space. And so at the time, they're like, let's come up with a name that starts with an A. It's in the phone book. And we had... You know, the team that was in place there, I was not there at that time at the inception. They thought that was important. So they launched as AccuShred Northwest. And uh, over time, we've evolved away from uh, phone book, you know, A being the predominant thing. And for us, it was very important to have Shred as the first name. And if I could go back, I would still name it differently than what we are today. But Shred Northwest is who we are. Okay. 
Interesting. Okay. So there's, there's history here, but the evolution has put you where you are today, which leads me to the whole point of both the backstory, but the whole point of uh, the Shred Coach podcast, which is practical, real world shredding, owner, operator, leader, implementation stuff that works. And so my question to you, as I put you on the hot seat is tell me about a specific strategy, tactic, tool, or resource you implemented that's made a significant impact on your business. Give me an idea of what you want to talk about today. Okay. Well, as you can imagine, there are a whole lot of things that I think are yep. contributing to the success of the company. But one thing that stood out to me as I was thinking about what I might share is the effective use of stop and no. And the reason that that's important to me, and there's there's people, you may have even spoken on this at times, I don't recall, but it's just such a, it's a unique decision to stop something or to say mm. no to something. And for me, it's also one of the more lonelier parts of leadership, right? Because everybody loves you when you're saying yes to things like, yes, let's do this. Yes, let's continue. Yes, I, I can see how this is going to create an ROI. But as soon as you start saying no, I don't think that's going to work or I'm deciding we need to stop. It, it can become a lonely space and yeah. changes relationships. And so as I look through my career and my success at Shred Northwest, which I would say has been highly successful with my own personal critique, I think it's been those strategic stops and those strategic no's that have made very measurable differences for us. Wow, that's interesting. Let's talk a little bit more. When did this process for you of uh, almost having the courage to say no first show up to you? Do you remember a story when it was like the first time you went, oh, crap, I got to say no? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it goes a little bit back in into my personal life, but I think as a freshman at the University of Colorado of Boulder, we're really some of the first adult thinking <laughs> moments I had where yep. I was like, wait a minute, is the path that I'm on right now going to create the kind of success that I was raised in and the kind of success that I think I deserve and the people that I'm going to be with for the rest of my life deserve. And so I, I stopped a couple different things. I took a break out of college for two years. I came back, I transferred school. And then even later in life, I was in the middle of an MBA program and had an opportunity that I didn't see coming to stop my MBA at Utah State University leave my job, so quit my job where I was gainfully employed and move out to Oregon to take over this startup shred company, which I had no idea about. And so it was a very <laughs> difficult stop and a very difficult no, but we did it. So, so you're in the middle of that moment. Let's just go back to that moment. Uh, and you're in school, you're doing your MBA program and you get this invite. What's the evolving adult process of going, no, I'm going to stop this. How do you process that internally? Like, do you, do you get a, like a feeling in your gut? You know, they talk about gut instinct or is this a, a thing where you write down on a sheet of paper pros and cons and, you know, the very traditional way of thinking about yes, no decisions. Like how do you <laughs> process this back then? And I'm going to ask you how you do it today. But how did you do that? Yeah, well, I wish that back then someone could have talked me through it because I really felt like, you know, I'm a newly married young adult with debt and dreams. And I had relationships. You know, I was working. I'd been working for several years. 
I had a path that made sense. I was being recognized. So it was a very bold, very daring, very risky decision for me to stop that, to just end my relationships in the the business world that I was starting to make a name for myself with. And I think that I, I, I weighed it out and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, could I really work for a small business that's owned by my in-laws? Is that a recipe that's going to work? And it was like all good decisions. And this is why I think saying no and stopping stuff can be so hard. There was not a perfect set of information and right. it came inconveniently into my life. Yeah. And so with an imperfect set of information at an inconvenient time, I had to just make a decision. And I, the decision was to stop the path that was on and course redirect and head to, to Portland, Oregon and enter a new industry in a new space. So that's a really cool stop and no origin story, but tell me, how are you dealing with that today? You've reached obviously a level of success that has given you the capability to go out and acquire other companies. Enough stuff must show up on your plate every day in terms of you're currently the uh, president of iSigma. You're undoubtedly in your local community. I've looked at your LinkedIn profile and, you know, everybody loves you. So undoubtedly you get lots of invitations to be involved in stuff, boards, advisory involvement. In, I, I know you're involved in your community. I know you're involved in your church. I mean, there's a lot yeah. going on in your life. Plus you got kids. How do you take that stop and know when you're in demand? Well, it's all about prioritizing the good, the better, and the best. And it, that can be very hard. And I will not say that I feel like I do it perfectly every time. And so I'm thinking about, for example, in 2016, we had my brother-in-law and I were representing the fourth generation of this family business that's been very successful. And he's going a million miles an hour in his life and I'm doing the same. And we, we had one of those family difficult moments where he wanted to go a different direction with the business. He saw me as an outsider. And I just thought to myself, okay, I, I am my own person in my community. I built, I, I, I didn't start Shred Northwest or then AccuShred Northwest, but I built it. It yep. was floundering. And so you just have to make the decisions that are the best decisions for you. This is what I've done and know that the better decisions and the good decisions just have to go secondary. Mm. And so I've tried to do that. Part of that included, we sold, I mean, we spent over $2 million of the solid waste company growing the business that I have now. Had they never diversified and done this intrapreneurial launch, there'd have been $2 million, over $2 million that they could have invested. And so we stopped records management, record storage. We stopped scanning services. We sold them and we just said, what can we be the very best at? Mm. It wasn't those other lines of business. And so it was just like prioritize, prioritize. This is what we can be the very best at. Oh, that's great. That's great. So in, in your own process of that, because that, that I think that's a, a, such a good example of it is you stopped revenue production there. I mean, there's, yeah. there's revenue there because record storage isn't a bad business, but it's no. not necessarily the best is what you're saying. You're running through a decision matrix to actually get this result that gives you the best outcome, which allows you to say no. I, I guess I'm intrigued by how you actually do that personally, you're, you got an MBA or you've got most of an MBA. I'm not sure. Cause you said you quit, <laughs> but uh, did you ever finish that MBA? I did. I transferred okay. actually to Portland state and transferred their credits back. So yeah, we're, we're okay, uh, you got it. credentialed. So, 
I, I mean, just the fact that you got an MBA means you're analytical. So like when you're dealing with a go, no go or a stop go scenario, are you like processing this um, in a notebook on spreadsheets? How do you like, what's your process? That's why I want to dig in on this. Cause I think it's such a powerful tool. Like yeah. what do you do? Well, okay. It occurs to me that I've done this in my personal life. One of the things that it's just a sort of a funny example. And if you know my wife, this is even a, a more meaningful example, but I had this conversation when I was engaged with my wife and I'm talking to my mom and they're like, are you sure you want to get married? You guys are, you know, 23, 22 years old. And I said, mom, like I've never wanted to marry someone. And Amy just, she holds nothing back. There's like zero intimidation. We're like totally equals. <laughs> and I've learned that when you surround yourself with people who treat you as a complete equal and have no intimidations, it can be a little bit contentious at times. And, uh, uh, and we've had to yeah. work through that. But I've followed that pattern in work. I, I cannot stand hiring people who don't know how to put alternative creative ideas on the table. And that's mm. a difficult skill set in and of itself. I mean, I can have a podcast just on how to communicate alternative ideas without being divisive or stirring the pot unnecessarily. But I've surrounded my, myself with people who just have been very, very good at requiring me to give my very best while they give their very best. And it's diverse thought. My father-in-law, who has been an owner of the Shred Company for a long time, in his 70s, he's been an incredible person to work with. And while he's not made decisions for the company, he's the kind of guy that says, well, Brock, you need an expert on that. Brock, we need to find an expert in this. You can't make that decision, can you? You're not an expert. I've come to appreciate the value of bringing in experts. Yeah. Okay. I've, yeah. Sued, I've sued a union. You want to have an expert? Sue a union. You need a good attorney. <laughs> My wife and I have bought some property that has environmental contamination on it. And you want to, if you want to buy contaminated property, you better have a very good environmental attorney. Yeah. But I've learned with my decision-making when I have to say stop and when I have to say no, I can't just say, well, the experts are telling me no, or the experts are telling me yes. Because what happens is that experts always couch their opinion in these caveats of, well, we don't know all of the conditions. Right. And so it's this funny balance of making decisions where you go, okay, I don't have the perfect set of information. This so-called expert doesn't have the so-called information. And so then you just have to be a very good listener and prioritize good, better, best. And you just have to stop some things and say no to some things. I refuse to let experts overly weigh in on things that I, I owe it to my people to be expert in this right. company. And I, I try right. to be. Right. So if I were to ask Amy, when you're making go, no go decisions, stop uh, or go decisions, do you tend to, in that good, better, best, do you tend to analyze it to death and grind away at it for weeks? Or is it like this gut intuitive or is it a combination of both? How, where do you lean in those two? Because there's people out there in the entrepreneur world who are all gut, all instinct, damn the experts. Yeah. And there's others who process spreadsheets for weeks. I know I'm poking at this one, but I'm just trying to understand yeah. your process because I think it's really good how you do this. I'm cognizant of what I would say are two primary ways that I think people can reach good conclusions. Sometimes, and for me, it's been on rare occasion, it's like you're in a dark room and someone turns on a light switch and you're like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what to do. This is the answer. That for me has been more of a rarity. More mm. often, it's like I wake up before the sun rises, it's a cloudy day, and imperceptibly, it becomes 
increasingly light that I can see until suddenly I can see around me. But in the moment, you don't see the additional awareness and knowledge coming to you. And most of my decisions have been like that. So it's a combination of like, you've got good people speaking honestly to you. Mm -hmm. you you've got good analytical data. You, you include expertise. And then you just say, this is the decision. And you have to make it successful. You just have to. <laughs> That's so good. So you said there was two ways. That was one, dark well, room. Yeah, the light switch immediately where it's just like a light bulb goes off. And or the other is the, that. Yeah. Right. It's the evolution, like sort of the, the light unfolding. But Correct. it's okay. But it's still there. You, you've done all the work. You've done the intellectual exercise. You probably have gut instinct, but it's allowing at a certain point the light shows up. That's right. And I, yeah. to me, it's very important to not be the kind of leader who is looking for everything all at once. And there's been a lot of things where I've had to say, nope, that's not the case. That's not realistic. And we've had to course correct and make strategy on those kinds mm. of things. I hear you. It's really about this ability to make these decisions that long-term support the growth of the business, the best decisions that force you sometimes to say no, like we're just going to say no to this. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that's, it was that the combination of illuminating decisions where you just, you have to make a small decision. This is what it is. Make a small decision, see the impact, yes. make a small decision, see the impact. And very sensitively, like for way too long, I've trusted on these experts, like I've mentioned, instead of being able to see data points and seeing data points, like for example, saying, no, I'm not going to trust just my controller's opinion on what he sees in the books. I want to actually see the data points in combination with their opinion. And so those kinds of things helped me tremendously. Yeah, no, that's really good. Really good. So you, you mentioned earlier in terms of the practical input, you had invested $2 million in certain parts of the business and you made certain decisions. So Undoubtedly, the value of making no decisions is infinitely higher than $10,000. Oh, infinitely. Yes. Infinitely. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, that, that's really helpful. And that's exactly what I want from this show. And from this is to get these really cool ways you do stuff. So thank you for sharing that. I think it's really magnificent. Yeah. One other question for you, and it's on a completely different path, but I like to ask a, a separate question in these shows, and that is, You've just completed your year as president of iSigma. What do you now know at the end of this term that you didn't at the beginning? What has been illuminated? What, using your metaphor, which is the lights have come on over the last year, what have you learned? What have you seen? What's been impactful in this year of being the president? Well, I would say one of the light bulbs that went off on me immediately upon becoming the, the president, not just the president-elect, but actually those responsibilities changing, was just how remarkably fortunate we are to have trade association staffers who are very good at their work. They care deeply about this association. And I knew that, but I knew it at a different level, which was important for me because as the elected president, you want to leave an impact and you don't know, like, do I need to go in there and clean house? Like, will I find that these people are actually not doing that much? But I was, it was very clear to me that Bob Johnson and Michelle and Kelly and others are working very hard. I would say the other thing that I have learned is I have learned how important it is to have directors on the board. And I've learned this it's been a gradual learning process, like that sunrise experience. Yeah. But when you have directors on a board who can think independently, speak independently, 
without being contentious because the contention becomes, it, it takes its own energy and it distracts from productive work. And I think sometimes as board members, it's easy to think like, well, I, I need to be independent. So I'm, you know, look out because I'm coming. And I've learned yeah. that you just can get a lot of things done. We have done very important things. We've got a transition, a major transition of Bob Johnson's retirement and that's succession. And we've been very productive and yet still maintain a lot of independence. I have been a pupil of how that works as much as I've been any kind of a leader. Yeah. Very cool. That's really good to hear. And on behalf of the greater industry, not just shredding industry, but the greater industry, I, I want to thank you for the work you've done this last year. It's been a huge year. So thank you for your efforts in that You're regard. You're most welcome. Brock, it's been really good to talk to you. I appreciate your insight. I loved your topic. I just absolutely oh. love it. It's such a valuable and important tool for any leader, owner, operator, CEO to know how to stop and how to say no. So thank you for sharing that with us. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. Make sure to tune in every week for a brand new $10,000 strategy or idea from trusted shredding and business professionals.